0: Chapter forty four of Thrilling Narratives of Mutiny, Murder, and Piracy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philip Gould Thrilling Narratives of Mutiny, Murder, and Piracy by Anonymous. Chapter forty-four Loss of the Duke William Transport. The Duke William Transport, commanded by Captain Nichols, was fitted out by him with all possible expedition in the year 1758, and lay at Spithead to receive orders. At length he proceeded to Cork, under convoy of the York Man-of-War, to take in soldiers for America, but just on approaching the Irish coast a thick fog came on whereby he lost sight of the ship, and as it began to blow hard that night and the next day, he was obliged to bear away for Waterford. When off Creighton Head, guns were fired for a pilot. None, however, came off, and Captain Nichols, being unacquainted with the harbor, brought the ship up, though the sea ran very high. A pilot at last came on board, but the transport broke from her anchor, and on getting under sail it was almost dark. After running along for some time under the fore-topsail, triple-reefed and scarce in sight of land, Captain Nichols cast anchor, and next morning, to his great surprise, found high rocks so close astern that he durst not veer away a cable. The sheet-anchor had been let go in the night and was the chief means of preservation. The yards and topmasts were now got down, a signal of distress hoisted, and many guns fired. A boat then came from the windward, and a man in her said if Captain Nichols would give him fifty pounds he would come on board, which, being promised, he ascended the stern ladder, But when he found the ship so near the rocks, he declared that he would not remain on board for all the ship was worth. However, Captain Nichols told him that having come off as a pilot acquainted with the harbor, he should stay, and called to the people in the boat to hoist their sails as he was going to cut her adrift, which he did accordingly. Meantime the pilot was in the greatest confusion, but the captain said it was in vain to complain and if by cutting or slipping the cables he could carry the ship to a place of safety he was ready to do it the pilot replied that he could neither take charge of her nor venture to carry her in for he apprehended the ship would be on shore and dash to pieces against the rocks before she would veer and if she did veer that a large french east indiaman had been lost upon the bar which made the channel very narrow and he did not know the mark so as to carry her clear of the wreck The ship now rowed very hard, and it being Sunday a great many people were ready on shore to plunder her should she strike. Of this Captain Nichols entertained many apprehensions at low water, as she pitched so much. But fortunately, as the weather became more moderate, two English frigates which lay in the harbour sent their boats to his assistance, and the custom-house smack arriving he escaped, though very narrowly, from the threatened danger. The duke William soon afterwards proceeded to Cork to receive soldiers and sailed from thence with a fleet of transports to Halifax where they arrived safe and went to besiege Louisbourg after landing the troops the transports and some of the men-of-war went into Gaboris bay where the admiral allowed the captains of the former to land their men being sickly on a small peninsula which they engaged to defend from the enemy four or five hundred people therefore immediately set to work and cut a ditch six feet wide and four feet deep quite across the peninsula as a precaution against the indians they planted cannon and also placed several swivels on the stumps of trees cut down for that purpose huts were next erected gardens made and the whole ground cleared and converted into pleasant arbors from selecting portions of the shrubs and trees here the captains of the transports remained some time during which the sick recovered surprisingly and cures were operated by a remarkable expedient called a ground sweat this was digging a hole in the ground and being put into it naked the earth was thrown over the patient up to the chin for a few minutes at first the earth felt cold but it quickly brought on a gentle perspiration which cured the disorder no one person died who underwent such treatment On the reduction of Louisbourg, the island of St. John, in the entrance of the Gulf of St. Lawrence, capitulated, and the inhabitants were to be sent to France in the English transports. They therefore left the peninsula, which the people had entrenched, and after much bad weather in which the Duke William parted her cable, and after a tedious passage arrived at St. John's, but not without the whole fleet being in danger of shipwreck. A party of soldiers brought the inhabitants down the country to the different transports, and the Duke William being the largest, the missionary priest, who was the principal man there, was ordered to go with Captain Nichols. On his arrival he requested permission for the other people who wished it to come on board to be married, and a great many marriages followed, from an idea prevailing that all the single men would be made soldiers. Nine transports sailed in company, Captain Wilson with Lord Rollo and some soldiers, and Captain Moore also with soldiers under convoy of the hind sloop of war the rest being cartels had no occasion for convoy captain moore's vessel was lost going through the gut of canso by striking on a sunken rock whence the soldiers whom she carried were put on board captain wilson's ship bound to louisbourg captain moore his son mate and carpenter took a passage in the duke william contrary winds obliged the fleet to lie in the gut of canso where the french prisoners were permitted to go ashore frequently and remain there all night making fires in a wood to keep themselves warm, and some of them obtained muskets from Captain Nichols for shooting game, as they were not afraid of meeting with the Indians. About three hours after departing one of them came running back and begged for God's sake that the captain would immediately return on board with his people, as they had met with a party of Indians who were coming down to scalp them. Captain Nichols, with the other masters and sailors, hastily went off and had scarce got on board when the Indians actually reached the place that they had left thus they had a very narrow escape of being murdered and scalped had not the french been faithful and providence interposed the fleet in gaining the gut of canso had been assailed by dangers during a fine night some of the transports worked within the gut but captain nichols and captain johnson of the parnassus cast anchor without it in the night a hard gale arose and increased so much that the latter let go three anchors yet the ship drove ashore and was lost Another ship, the Narcissus, also parted from her anchors and was obliged to run ashore, and most of the rest suffered damage. When the weather became somewhat moderate, Captain Nichols found that all the French prisoners on board the Parnassus had gained the land and had made themselves large fires in the woods, on account of the cold, showery weather which prevailed, and on joining them there he told them to their great joy that he would send boats to carry them off. This he did next morning, and finding it impossible to save the hull of the Parnassus, though another ship was got offshore, everything worth saving was taken out of her, and in particular one of the pumps, which was carried on board the Duke William to serve in case of emergency. On the 25th of November, 1758, Captain Nicholls sailed from the Bay of Canso, leading six other transports, with a strong breeze at northwest all the captains agreed to make the best of their way to france and not to go to louisbourg as it was a bad time of the year to beat on that coast and then took leave of the agent who was bound thither the third day after being at sea a storm blew in the night being dark with thick weather and sleet the duke william parted company with three of the ships and the storm still continuing in a day or two parted with the rest nevertheless the ship remained in good condition and though the sea was mountains high, she went over it like a bird and made no water. On the 10th of December, Captain Nichols saw a sail which proved to be one of the transports, the Violet, Captain Suggett. On coming up, he asked how all were on board, to which Captain Suggett replied, in a terrible situation. He had a great deal of water in the ship, her pumps were choked, and he was much afraid that she would sink before morning. Captain Nichols begged him to keep up his spirits, and said that if possible he would stay by him and spare him the pump he had got out of the Parnassus. He also told him that as the gale had continued so long he hoped it would moderate after twelve o'clock. Unfortunately, however, it rather increased, and on changing the watch at twelve he found that he went fast ahead of the violet, whence, if he did not shorten sail, he would be out of sight of her before morning. Captain Nichols then consulted with Captain Moore and the mate on what was the most proper to be done, and all were unanimous, that the only means of saving the people in the Violet was to keep company with her until the weather should moderate, and that the main topsail should be taken in. Therefore the main topsail of the Duke William was taken in, and three pumps got out to be ready in case of necessity. The spare pump was forced down an after hatchway and shipped in an empty butt, of which the French had brought several on board to wash in. Everything was preparing, both for pumping and bailing, should it be required, and the people of the transport thought themselves secure against all hazards. They now believed that the violet gained on them, and were glad to see her quite plain about four o'clock in the afternoon. On changing the watch, they found the ship still tight and going very well, the carpenter assuring Captain Nichols that there was no water to strike a pump. He, fatigued with walking the deck so long, designed going below to smoke a pipe of tobacco to beguile time and desired the mate to acquaint him immediately should any alteration take place. The board next the lower part of the pump had been driven to see how much water was in the well, and every half hour when the ball was struck the carpenter went down. As he had hitherto found no water, Captain Nichols felt quite comfortable in his situation in particular, and on going below ordered a little negro boy, whom he had as an apprentice, to get him a pipe of tobacco soon after filling and lighting his pipe he was thrown from his chair while sitting in his stateroom by a blow that the ship received from a terrible sea on which he dispatched the boy to ask mr fox the mate whether anything was washed over mr fox returned answered that all was safe and he saw the violet coming up fast captain nichols then being greatly fatigued thought he would endeavour to procure refreshment from a little sleep and without undressing threw himself on the side of his bed but before his eyes were closed Mr. Fox came to inform him that the carpenter had found the water above the kelson, and that the ship had certainly sprung a leak. He immediately rose and took the carpenter down to the hold along with him, when to his infinite surprise he heard the water roaring in dreadfully. On further examination he found that a butt had started, and the more they endeavoured to press anything into it the more the plank forsook the timber. Therefore they went on deck to encourage the people at the pumps, after making a mark with chalk to ascertain how the water gamed upon them. Captain Nichols, considering the case desperate, went to all the Frenchmen's cabins, begging them to rise, he said, that although their lives were not in danger, their assistance was desired at the pumps, where it would be of the greatest service. They got up accordingly and cheerfully lent their aid. By this time it was daylight, when, to the great surprise and concern of the Duke Williams' people, they saw the violet on her broadside at a little distance, the foreyard broke in the slings, the fore-topsail set, and her crew endeavouring to free her of the mizzenmast. Probably she had just then broached to by the foreyard giving way. A violent squall came on which lasted for ten minutes, and when it cleared up they discovered that the unfortunate ship had gone to the bottom, with nearly four hundred souls. The stoutest was appalled by the event, especially as their own fate seemed to be approaching. All the tubs above mentioned were prepared and gangways made, the Frenchmen assisted and also the women who behaved with uncommon resolution. The hatches were then opened, and as the water flowed fast into the hold, the tubs being filled were hauled up and emptied on the upper deck, which with three pumps constantly at work and bailing out of the gunroom scuttle, discharged a great quantity of water. A seam would have done them little injury, but a butt's-end was more than they could manage, though every method that could be deemed serviceable was tried. The sprite-sail was quilted with oakum and flax, and one of the top gallant sails was prepared in the same manner, to see whether anything would sink into the leak, but all in vain. In this dismal condition the transport continued three days, notwithstanding all the exertions of the people. She was full of water, and they expected her to sink every minute. They had already got the whole liquor and provisions— The hold now being full and the ship swimming only by the decks from the buoyancy of empty casks below, the people about six o'clock on the fourth morning came to Captain Nichols, declaring that they had done all that lay in their power, that the ship was full of water, and that it was in vain to pump any more. Captain Nichols acknowledged the truth of what they said. He told them that he could not desire them to do more, that they had behaved like brave men and must now trust in Providence alone, as there was no expedient left for saving their lives. He then acquainted the priest with their situation, that every method for saving the ship and the lives of the people had been adopted, but that he expected the decks to blow up every moment. The priest was stunned by the intelligence, but answered that he would immediately go and give his people absolution for dying, which he did, says Captain Nichols, and I think a more melancholy scene cannot be supposed than so many people, hardy, strong, and in health, looking at each other with tears in their eyes bewailing their unhappy condition no fancy can picture the seeming distraction of the poor unhappy children clinging to their mothers and the wives hanging over their husbands lamenting their miserable fate shocking situation words cannot describe it captain nichols then called the men down the main hatchway along with him to examine the leak in the hold He told them they must be content with their fate, and as they were certain they had done their duty they should submit to Providence with pious resignation. He walked on deck with Captain Moore, desiring him to devise any expedient to save them from perishing. With tears in his eyes Captain Moore assured him that he knew of none, as all that could be thought of had been used. Providence, in Captain Nichols' belief, induced him to propose attempting to hoist out the boats, so that if a ship should appear their lives might be saved as the gale was more moderate but to this proposal captain moore said it would be impossible as everybody would endeavor to get into them captain nichols however was of a different opinion observing that under their severe trial the sailors had behaved with uncommon resolution and were very obedient to his commands he flattered himself that they would all continue so and all were sensible that in case the ship broached to the masts must be cut away to prevent her from oversetting, when it would be beyond their power to hoist out the boats. He then called the mates, carpenters, and men, and proposed to get out the boats, at the same time acquainting them that it was to save every soul on board, if possible, and declaring that if any person should be so rash as to insist on going into them, besides those he should think proper, that they should immediately be scuttled, but all solemnly maintained that his commands should be as implicitly obeyed as if the ship had been in her former good condition, thus setting an example which is rarely to be found. Captain Nichols then went to acquaint the chief prisoner on board with what was about to be attempted. He was an hundred and ten years old, the father of the whole island of St. John's, and had a number of children, grandchildren, and other relations in the ship. His observation was that he was convinced Captain Nichols would not do a bad action, for— By experience he had found how much care he had taken of him and his friends, and likewise what endeavors had been used to save the ship and their lives, therefore they were ready to assist in anything he should propose. Captain Nichols assured him that he would not forsake them but run an equal chance. This, he thought, the only means of saving their lives should it please Providence to send any ship to their assistance, and it was their duty to use all means given to them. He next asked Mr. Fox and the carpenter whether they were willing to venture in the longboat, to which they boldly answered in the affirmative, as whether they perished on the spot or a mile or two farther off was a matter of very little consequence, and as there was no prospect but death in remaining, they would willingly make the attempt. Captain Moore, the carpenter and mate, also willingly agreed to his proposal to go in the cutter. The cutter was accordingly got over the side, and the ship lying pretty quiet, they cut the tackles, when she dropped very well into the water, and the pinter brought her up, they next went to work with the long boat. And daylight, having fairly come in, gave them great spirits, as they flattered themselves: should it please God Almighty to send a ship, it would be in their power to save all their lives. The weather being now much more moderate than before, the maiden carpenter having cut the runners, the long boat fell into the water as well as the cutter had done, and a proper pinter being made fast, she brought up properly people were stationed at the main and four topmast heads to look out for a sail, when to the unspeakable joy of all on board the man at the main topmast cried out that he saw two ships right astern, making after the transport. Captain Nichols having acquainted the priest and the old gentleman with the good news, the latter took him in his aged arms and wept for joy. The captain ordered the ensign to be hoisted to the main topmast shrouds, and the guns to be got all clear for firing the weather was very hazy and the ships not far distant when first discovered whenever the transport hoisted her signal of distress they showed english colors and seemed to be west indiamen of about three or four hundred tons captain nichols continued loading and firing as fast as possible when he perceived the two ships speak with each other and setting their foresail and topsails they hauled their wind and stood off Supposing that the size of his ship and her having so many men on board added to its being the time of war might occasion distrust, he ordered the mainmast to be cut away to undeceive them. People had been placed in the shrouds to cut away in case of necessity, but one of the shrouds not being properly cut checked the mainmast and made it fall right across the boats. On this Captain Nichols hastily ran aft and cut the penders of both boats, otherwise they would have been staved to pieces and sunk immediately a dismal thing it was to cut away what could be the only means of saving people's lives and at the same time see the ships so basely leave them no words can picture their distress driven from the greatest joy to the utmost despair death now appeared more dreadful they had only the foresail hanging in the brails and the braces of both penters being rendered useless by the fall of the mainmast and the yard flying backward and forward by the rolling of the ship rendered them apprehensive that she would instantly overset The ship ran from the boats until they remained just in sight, and finding they made no endeavour to join her, though each was provided with oars, foremast, and foresail, Captain Nichols consulted with the boatswain on what was most proper to be done in their dangerous condition. He said that he thought they should bring the ship to at all events, though he acknowledged it a dreadful alternative to hazard her oversetting. The boatswain agreed that it was extremely dangerous, as the vessel steered very well. However, Captain Nichols, finding that the men in the boat did not attempt to join him, called the people aft and told them his resolution. They said it was desperate, and so was their condition, but they were ready to do whatever he thought best. But Captain Moore seemed to be quite against it. Captain Nichols then acquainted the old gentleman, the priest, and the rest of the people, who were pleased to say, Let the consequence be what it might, they should be satisfied he had acted for the best, and all were resigned to the consequences." He therefore ordered men to every fore-shroud and one with an axe to the foremast to cut it away, should that measure become indispensable. But his own situation he declares to have been in the meantime dreadful, in reflecting that this alternative, though in his judgment right, might be the means of sending nearly four hundred souls to eternity. However, the Almighty endowed him with resolution to persevere, and he gave orders to bring the ship to. In hauling out the mizzen, which had been greatly chafed, it split. A new staysail was then bent to bring the ship to, which had the desired effect after a considerable time, for a heavy sea striking on the starboard quarter, excited an apprehension that it would be necessary to cut away the mast. When the men in the yawl saw the ship lying to for them, they got up their foremast and ran on board holding the sheets in their hands on account of the wind, and as soon as they arrived some men were sent to row to the assistance of the longboat they soon joined her got her foremast up set the sail as the cutter likewise did and to the great joy of all reached the ship in safety just as the boats came up the people at the masthead exclaimed a sail a sail and the captain thought it better to let the ship lie as by seeing the mainmast gone it might be known that she was in distress the weather was hazy and he could see to no great distance but the strange vessel was soon near enough to perceive and hear his guns she had scarce hoisted her colours, which were Danish, when her main-topsail-sheet gave away. On observing which, Captain Nicholls, conceiving her main-topsail was to be clued up, and she would come to his assistance, immediately imparted the good news to the priest and the rest. Poor deluded people! They hugged him in their arms, calling him their friend and preserver, but, alas, it was short-lived joy! For as soon as the Dane had nodded or spliced her topsail-sheet, She stood away and left them. What pen is able, says Captain Nicholls, to describe the despair that reigned in the ship? The poor unhappy people wringing their hands cried out that God had forsaken them. It was now about three in the afternoon. Captain Nicholls wore the ship, which she bore very well, and steered tolerably before the wind. Towards half an hour afterwards the old gentleman came to him in tears— and taking him in his arms, said he came by desire of the whole people to request that he and his men would endeavor to save their lives in the boats, and as these were insufficient to carry more, they would by no means be accessory to their destruction. They were well convinced by their whole conduct that they had done everything in their power for their preservation, but that God Almighty had ordained them to perish, though they trusted he and his men would get safe on shore such gratitude for only doing a duty in endeavouring to save the lives of the prisoners as well as their own astonished Captain Nichols. He replied that there was no hopes of life, and as all had embarked in the same unhappy voyage they should all take the same chance. He thought that they ought to share the same fate. The old gentleman said that should not be, and if he did not acquaint his people with the offer he should have their lives to answer for. Accordingly the captain mentioned it to Captain Moore and the people, They said that they would with the greatest satisfaction remain could anything be devised for the preservation of the others, but that being impossible they would not refuse to comply with their request. The people then thanking them for their great kindness with tears in the eyes of all hastened down the stern ladder. As the boats ranged up by the sea under the ship's counter, those that went last cast themselves down and were caught by the men in the boat, captain nichols told them he trusted to their honour that they would not leave him as he was determined not to quit the ship until it was dark in hopes that providence would yet send something to their aid the whole assured him that he should not be deserted he had a little norse boy on board whom no entreaties could persuade to enter the vote until he himself had done so but as it was growing dark he insisted on the boy's going saying he would immediately follow him the boy obeyed and got on the stern ladder when a frenchman whom the dread of death induced to quit his wife and children unperceived made over the taffrail and trod on the norse boy's fingers the boy screamed aloud which led captain nichols to believe that some person was in danger and on repairing to the place followed by the old gentleman they found to their great surprise that the man who had a wife and children on board was attempting to get away and save himself The old gentleman calling him by his name said he was sorry to find him base enough to desert his family. He seemed ashamed of what he had done and returned over the taffrail. By this time the people of the boat begged the captain to come as the blows she received from below the ship's counter were likely to sink her. Captain Nichols, seeing the priest stretching his arms over the rails in great emotion, and apparently under strong apprehensions of death, asked him whether he was willing to take his chance in the boat he replied in the affirmative if there was room and on learning that there was he immediately went and gave the people his benediction and after saluting the old gentleman tucked up his conical robes and forsook the vessel captain Nicholls saluted him likewise and several others and then left them praying for his safety when he entered the boat he bid the sailors cast her adrift it was very dark and they had neither moon nor stars to direct them what a terrible situation he exclaims we were twenty-seven in the longboat and nine in the cutter without victuals or drink. Uncertain of their distance from the English coast, they agreed to keep as close as possible to the ship. It began to blow very fresh, with sleet and snow. The people were fatigued to the uttermost from working so long at the pumps, and after sitting in the wet and cold, they began to wish that they had stayed in the ship and perished, as now they might die a lingering death. Either alternative was awful. Destitute of provision, it was most probable that one must be sacrificed by lot to keep the others alive, and their dismal situation in arousing the most horrible anticipations made them forebode the worst. The boats now began to make water, yet the men refused to bail them. They were in a state of such extreme weariness, and not having slept for four nights, became regardless of their fate. Captain Nichols nevertheless prevailed on them to free the longboat of water having a brisk gale they soon ran a long way from their unfortunate ship when to their great distress it fell quite calm at ten in the morning this threw the people in despair their courage began to fail and as they could not expect to live so long as to make the land death seemed again staring them in the face some time after this unlucky party forsook the ship four of the french prisoners led a small jolly-boat which was still remaining overboard with two small paddles and swam to her and just as they left the vessel her decks blew up with a report like a gun she sunk in the ocean and three hundred and sixty souls perished with her captain nicholls at length observing the water-coloured asked whether they had any twine on which one of them gave him a ball from his pocket they knocked the bolts off the knees of the long-boat wherewith to make a deep sea lead and sounding with it were rejoiced to find only forty-five fathom water but the people complaining greatly of hunger and thirst, Captain Nichols said he was sorry to acquaint them that he had nothing for them to eat or drink, yet encouraged them to bear up with manly resolution, as by their soundings they were near silly, and he doubted not if it cleared they should see the land. The little Norse boy, who had always kept close by the captain, now said that he had got some bread, and on taking it from the bosom of his shirt it proved to be like baker's dough. However— it was, bread and very acceptable. The whole might amount to about four pounds, and Captain Nichols having put it into his hat distributed it equally calling for those in the yawl to receive their share. But instead of being a relief it increased their troubles, for being wet and clammy it clung to the roof of their mouths having nothing to wash it down. Mr. Fox had some allspice also which was of little service, having been cut in pieces, The people forced it down their throats, which created some saliva, and by that means it was swallowed. About noon a light air sprung up at southwest. Each boat had a foremast, foresail, and oars, but owing to the boats having been foul of the mainmast, all the oars were washed away except two from each. Captain Nichols was told in answer to his inquiries concerning a noise among the crew, that two seamen were disputing about a couple of blankets which one of them had brought from the ship. These blankets he ordered to be thrown overboard, rather than they should be suffered to breed any quarrel, as in their unhappy condition it was no time to have disputes. But on reflection, having desired that they should be brought to him, he thought of converting them to use, by forming each into a mainsail. Therefore one oar was erected for a mainmast, and the other broke to the breadth of the blankets for a yard. The people in the cutter observing what was done in the longboat converted a hammock which they had on board into a mainsail. At four in the afternoon it cleared up when the adventurers descried a brig about two miles distant to which Captain Nichols ordered the cutter to give chase as it being lighter than the longboat, would sooner get up and let her know their distress. But the brig, seeing the boats alter their course, directly stood from them, owing, as Captain Nichols supposed, to their odd appearance. For war then prevailing, they were probably taken for the French lug-sail boats that used to frequent the lands off Scilly. The cutter, however, gained fast on the brig, when, having got about half-way, a very thick fog came on, and neither the brig nor the cutter were again seen from the long-boat. Night fell, and the weather still continuing very foggy, the people, almost dead for want of sleep, reposed themselves, sitting half-way in water, it being impossible for so many to find seats. Their captain, anxious for their lives in his own, strove to keep his eyes open, though it was the fifth night that he had taken no rest. About eleven o'clock, when everyone was asleep but the helmsman and himself, he thought that he saw land, yet he was determined not to call out land until he should be sure that it was so. He squeezed his eyelids together to let the water run out of his eyes, as he found them very dim. Again he thought he saw land very plain, and was convinced that he could not be deceived. By this time the man at the helm had dropped asleep, and he took the tiller himself. Some space longer elapsed before he would disturb anybody, but at last he awoke Captain Moore, telling him he thought he saw land. Captain Moore only answered that they should never see land again. Captain Nichols then awoke Mr. Fox, who had obtained a sound sleep and seemed quite refreshed. He immediately cried out that they were near land and close in with the breakers. Lucky it was that he had been awakened, otherwise Captain Nichols, from being absolutely unacquainted with them, was satisfied that all on board would have perished. At the word land every one awoke, and with some difficulty the boat cleared the rocks. At first the precise part of the English coast could not be ascertained, but as it cleared more and more every moment, Captain Nichols, on looking under the lee leech of the blanket mainsail, discerned St. Michael's Mound in Mounts Bay. The boat would not fetch the land near Penzance, and, as she had no oars, it was determined to avoid steering round the Lizard and so for Falmouth, but to run her boldly on shore whatever place she might chance to make it was a fine night and after getting round the point the people found the water very smooth keeping the boat close to the wind they made between penzance and the point their joy at finding themselves in so favourable a situation is not to be conceived it gave them new life and strength Those who were forward exclaimed that there were two rocks ahead. Captain Nichols hastened before, and his sight having come well to him, he carried the boat between them without touching ground, and in a little time ran her ashore on a sandy beach. The seamen leapt into the water and carried the priest and the captain ashore. The former kneeling down made a short prayer, and then coming to embrace Captain Nichols called him his preserver, and said that he had rescued him from death. Leaving the boat as she lay, all made the best of their way to the town of Penzance. But some of the people, with sleeping wet, were so much benumbed that they could scarce get along, and Captain Nichols himself declares that from the time of the ship springing a leak until that hour he had had no sleep, and very little sustenance. However, having fallen in with a run of fresh water on the road to Penzance, all were revived by drinking heartily of it. The party reaching the town about three in the morning made up to a tavern where they saw a light and as it had been a market-day the mistress of the house was still up when captain nicholls entered by the door which was not locked she was undressing with her back to a fire the light he had seen and being greatly alarmed screamed murder thieves the appearance of twenty-seven people at such an unseasonable hour was certainly enough to create apprehension especially from the condition which they were in but the captain endeavoring to pacify her requested she would call her husband or servants as they were shipwrecked men and give them some refreshment the landlord soon came and having provided provisions the people got into as many beds as were there while the rest of them slept on the floor by the side of the fire next morning the captain accompanied by the priest went to the mayor of the town to make a protest before a notary and to see if he could get credit as both he and the people were in want of every necessary and it was many miles to london the mayor received him kindly but told him that he was no merchant and that he never supplied people in the condition that he was in with money but if he pleased he would send a servant with him to mr charles langford a merchant who generally supplied the masters of vessels in distress with necessaries mr langford received captain nicholls politely but in answer to his request for credit said that he had made a resolution not to supply with credit any man to whom he was an entire stranger as he had been deceived by one very lately, and though his might have been a large ship to judge by the boat which was come on shore, he the captain might not be concerned in her, and as he should want a great deal of money he should beg to be excused. Captain Nicholls answered that he was partly owner of the ship, and Mr. Langford might be certain that his bills were duly honoured. However, he said he could not do it. Captain Nichols, grievously disappointed, returned to the inn where several tradesmen had arrived to furnish the people with clothes and other necessaries. He told the latter he could get no credit, but that they must travel on as far as Exeter, where he was sure of obtaining relief, which was very unwelcome news, as most of the people wanted shoes. The captain next requested the landlord of the inn to get them some breakfast, but he desired to be excused and wished to know if the captain could get no credit how he was to be paid. Captain Nichols was quite at a loss how to act, being denied both credit and victuals. He thought he would pawn or sell his ring, watch, buckles, and buttons. Accordingly returning to Mr. Langford, he begged he would give him what he thought proper for these things. He took the ring from his finger, the watch from his pocket, and with tears in his eyes was going to take the buckles from his shoes. When Mr. Langford prevented him, saying he should have credit for as much as he pleased— for he believed him to be an honest man and saw that his people's distress touched him more if possible than his own misfortunes he then gave what money the captain required during these transactions the second mate and the eight men belonging to the cutter arrived they said it was so very thick they could not come up with the brig which they were in pursuit of and that seeing the land's end when it cleared they got ashore as nobody would buy the cutter they had left her and had inquired the way to penzance where being in great distress they rejoiced to meet their comrades captain nicholls went to the inn and discharged what was owing on account of the unkindness which he had experienced he resolved to stay no longer and repaired to another house to breakfast he next procured the necessaries wanted by his people and then went with his mates to make a protest But, not choosing that the declaration should proceed from his own mouth, Mr. Langford's son acted as interpreter to the French priest who was to make it. The priest accordingly made a strong and full affidavit that Captain Nichols and his people had tried every means to keep the ship above water, that they had used the French all the time they were on board with the greatest kindness and humanity, and that Captain Nichols had parted from them with the greatest reluctance, and even at their own desire went into the boat, after all hopes of life were gone. Having remained another day at Penzance to refresh the people in getting credit for what was wanted, Captain Nichols, Captain Moore, and the officers set out in a carriage for Exeter, while the people who had got a pass from the mayor walked on foot. At Redruth, the town in Cornwall, there were many French officers on parole, as also an English commissary. Captain Nichols accompanied the priest to the latter in quest of a pass to Falmouth, that he might embark in the first cartel for France, and here took leave of him. Captain Nichols, having reached London, was under the necessity of being examined at the Admiralty and Navy office about the loss of the people in the ship, she being a transport in the service of government. The lords of the Admiralty and commissioners of the Navy told him that he might say more than any man living as he had brought ashore with him the first man of France, a priest, of course an enemy to both their religion and country. If his behavior had not been good, he would not have attempted it but at the same time they acknowledged that without such a proof they could not have believed but finding all hopes gone he and his people got away by some stratagem they would pay they said to the hour that the ship foundered and were very sorry they could do no more the four frenchmen above mentioned who had left the transport in the little boat subsequent to the departure of captain nichols and his men got into falmouth within two days So ended this dreadful and unfortunate voyage with the loss of a fine ship and three hundred and sixty souls. End of chapter forty four. Recording by Philip Gould.